Hi, Michaela. Welcome back. Hello. So last episode, we discussed this question of why, and we were examining really how important it is to find your why. Why do you want to be in relationship, actually? And that uh, things like whether or not your why is uh, compatible with the why of your partner uh, proved to be quite important and various other factors. Today, I thought uh, it would be interesting to talk a bit about those who are not in a relationship. There are people out there who are single, for example, and they wish to be in relationship. And one hears all kind of advice about how best to go about that. So what kind of things can a single person do? Let's say you're single. How should you be thinking? What should you be focusing on? And what sort of things can a single person do to prepare for a relationship? And how do you recommend people find one? I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this topic, how to find a relationship. Hmm. Well, I think before we talk about how to find a relationship, uh, it's once again important to consider what kind of a relationship someone wants. Because it's not as clear cut as it used to be, right? Where you had pretty much one option. Um, you're supposed to find somebody, settle down, have a few children perhaps, or you know, create a business and a child or get a dog and a house or something like that. But something in the realm of, um, it's, you know, convention in a certain way where it's assumed that you're uh, moving in together and that there's logical steps uh, along which to progress. Now that's still true for most people, but I think nowadays people are starting to actually question if that's true for them much more than ever before, because we can, you know, we don't have the social conventions that we used to have where you couldn't even get a hotel room with somebody who you did not have a marriage certificate with. And uh, uh, I remember recently somebody telling me how they had to take their marriage certificate along when they wanted to travel because they looked young and um, the hotels wouldn't take them, right? So uh, things of that nature are no longer um, applicable. And so when we think about why do we want a relationship, um, we also need to think about what kind of a relationship do we want? And that varies widely. So for instance, if you're um, you know, in your 20s and uh, you you're don't actually know exactly what your life will look like a bit later on, um, you might have some, you know, fairy tale ideas or other ideas as to what you think you want in relationship. But really, in fact, when you're honest, um, you might not be at that point, you might not want children or a wife, you might want to travel the globe and not be settled down with your first mortgage or things like that. So uh, some people don't want children in the, you know, in the light of uh, their personal considerations or global considerations. So there's things that have to be defined. Then, of course, if you've just gotten divorced, you're probably not um, exactly wanting to jump into the next marriage. Um, so a different kind of relationship uh, is required. You know, some people just want to have a little bit of fun and an occasional roll in the hay, so to speak, or, or you know, a weekend away, but they don't want to live with someone or they have children and the other person has children and it's not appropriate to live together at that point and all of that. So I'm saying this to say there's no universal, um, you know, you must have this kind of relationship and this is how you get it. This is much more um, where are you in your life and what does the relationship that actually 
serves your life look like? And so that's a whole discovery process in itself. Um, and it requires a bit of honesty because um, there's a lot of, in, in relationship particularly, there's a lot of assumptions that are never questioned. Right? Most people don't question the assumption that they should find somebody, date them, um, you know, combine all their friends, combine their housing situation, then get married, then have some children. Um, that's not really always questioned. And then people feel like they're losers or they are not lovable because uh, they don't get that because they actually don't want that, but they're not honest about it. So that's the first thing. Uh, I'm sure you have questions about it um, and we can discuss it further, but the, I, I just wanted to say that to begin with is that there's a fact finding and a certain kind of an honesty and also um, looking at the kind of relationships you've had in the past, which give you a good hint as to uh, what you're really cut out for and what you're not cut out for. And then of course, once that's determined, then you can look at um, what kind of a person would fill that role. And then from there, you look at um, if you want that kind of a person, who would you want to be or who would you have to be so that that kind of a person is attracted to you? What kind of qualities do you have to be to live that kind of relationship that you want? And uh, each of those steps is quite rich in exploration. And only when you actually know what you want um, comes the step of where do you find that? Yes, that's very interesting. One often hears conflicting advice about this sort of uh, phase. I think in addition to considering what kind of relationship you'd like and reviewing previous relationships and seeing what you can learn from them and so on, there's another, I think, aspect uh, that's is uh, worth discussing perhaps, which is whether or not one ought to be taking any kind of personal inventory. One hears different sorts of advice. Sometimes the advice can be something like, uh, you should find yourself, get more in touch with yourself and who you are. Other advice says you should try to improve yourself or look for areas in your life that you can improve or create space for a partner or make yourself more appealing in some degree, uh, something like this. And so sometimes I think there can be, at least on certain uh, f f first glance, a tension between these things, finding out who I really am and then maybe improving myself in some way. They seem almost opposite. Do you think it's uh, fair to uh, think along these sorts of lines? And can self-improvement go too far into trying to be someone you're not and can trying to be who you really are miss out on valuable opportunities to grow or become a more rounded person? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all, all all mentioned right and i do think it's quite a fine line um when you know you list all these things and uh i'm, I'm laughing mostly because that is all true but that of course doesn't help somebody who wants to kind of figure that out so um it's true that you can't actually determine what kind of a relationship you want. And with that, what kind of a person can you have this relationship with, right? Because um, you might want a certain kind of a person, but that person would not want the kind of relationship you want. Well, that's a problem, right? But if you want a certain kind of a relationship, and the person that would want that kind of relationship is not somebody you want, also not good. So finding yourself and knowing who you are 
um, is of course super important where your values um, what what your goals are now we don't never know how it works out but a general idea right important things like do you want children or not do you want one partner or an open relationship um have you been prone to cheating or are you you know very much a kind of a one person person um do you want a lot of sex or little sex um travel no travel vegan versus carnivore right there's like all these things that that can be determined um, in yourself first. And I think a very big piece there that's in knowing yourself is that you actually know your non-negotiables, right? You know the must-haves and you also know where, even though you have a preference, you don't really, you're not that stuck on it. And then the, the second piece of that is if you don't have proper boundaries, entering a relationship is a real problem. And um, I've said this many a time, and you know, people always nod very enthusiastically, but that does, that's not the same as actually having proper boundaries, because proper boundaries essentially mean, and this is in the knowing yourself, uh, what you are willing to tolerate and what you're not, and then having the muscle or the um, the, the strength and fortitude within yourself to actually establish those boundaries. And that's an area where um, when both of us, you know, individually and together work with couples, we see a lot of trouble when people start doing things they don't really want to do because they want to preserve the relationship or they compromise themselves for love or they, comp or they give sex when really they want intimacy or closeness um, and they trade. And so when you're looking for a partner, you have the unique chance to kind of shore up some of your bad patterns and habits before they kick back in. So uh, learning how to set proper boundaries, knowing what those boundaries are, that falls into the know yourself um, category. In the self-improvement category, it gets a bit more dicey because um, if we, let's say, determine that somebody doesn't have good boundaries, then in the self-improvement category, they could learn how to have better boundaries. There's simple steps, sensitizing to what you're feeling, learning appropriate communication and language, uh, working against you know, your martyr complex or your fear or your uh, unwillingness to be abandoned. So those are some very, very clear steps where you, in self-improvement, so to speak, can learn some skills, some actual skills that will allow you to be better in relationship. The same applies to just general communication skills. And uh, also that applies to sexual skills. Right? There is nothing wrong with learning more about how uh, a fulfilling sexual interaction uh, can be done right and that and that's something that we don't learn in school and we don't learn uh, in our upbringing because it's not appropriate in at that point right uh, but learning some actual skills would fall into the self-improvement what does not um fall into good relationship prep is if you think that if you could just be someone else then when you, then who you are, you're going to get the kind of mate that you want. Uh, that's super dangerous. That, that's super dangerous in general in self-improvement when you're trying to make yourself into something that you're not. 
and there's a lot of that out there because of course when when you're selling somebody something that they can't possibly achieve they have to try harder and harder and study more and more and do more and more courses but they can't achieve is not a um a is not uh, the case that because they're stupid or there is something wrong with them it's simply because it's not right for them as a human and as a personality and as um, what they want and so uh, i would say beware of self-improvement that uh, tries to make you something that you are absolutely not now the last thing i want to say about that is in in positive self-improvement would be to do things that make you more conducive to partnership. You know? So having interests, um, uh, feeling good in the body, and that's not having a certain weight or a certain look, it's feeling good in your own body. You know? Being um, in, involved in activities that when your body gets with another body, you feel good about, bringing your body to that situation, whatever that means to a person, right? To some people, that means elaborate hair and workout routines. For other people, that just means loving their body in an appropriate way that makes them want to combine themselves with another body happily, right? So, so that's that would be proper self-improvement. And what wouldn't be proper self-improvement is if you need to go and completely drastically change everything about you just so that you're okay. And then you can't maintain it because it's not really sustainable in, in your personality or in your lifestyle. So it seems you're saying that each has the remedy for the other. So if your, uh, your self-improvement should be connected or in some, in some sort of dialogue with who you really are, and not taking you away from who you really are, uh, but likewise, who you really are can be enhanced or even uh, discovering new possibilities of expression through self-improvement. That's very interesting. There's another factor, which uh, is, to, is to do with, uh, let's say, injury, psychological injury, say trauma or patterns of the past and so on and so forth. How can you distinguish between who you really are, your preferences, what works for you and the uh, impact of things like trauma, uh, past relationship injuries, childhood patterns and so on. Mm. It's funny, I had a whole conversation with a couple yesterday in a, in a session where I was uh, trying to explain that you can't diagnose accurately what's what, right? Because there's so much that goes into it. Now, of course, it's, it's very, um, tempting to just diagnose yourself for one thing, right? But that's, um, that's kind of shortchanging the, the complicated uh, configuration that a human is. And there's something really good about us being a complicated uh, configuration of a human, because it makes us actually unique, right? And it makes us us. So that said, though, um, I would say that as a general um, working model uh, we could use and well I say I should say as a general working model I assume that there is a combination of circumstances let me say this differently <laughs> so when I work with people I assume that there is a combination of circumstances it's never just one thing and uh, it's a bit 
multi-layered so sometimes it's you know it's hard to detect what's what so there is a going theory uh, that we've talked about many times before that essentially your imprint from childhood the way that the people who raised you parents or otherwise raised you creates what i like to call a home pattern right and that home pattern is essentially what you identify as attention or love and so if you've had a great home pattern, meaning your, your, your parents or the people who raised you were attentive, they gave you love, um, they considered you, um, you know, you were held, things of that nature, right? That is, this is how it sometimes plays into attachment pattern, attachment theory. But however you um, receive that um, attention, that's love. So if you're if the only time you ever got attention was when you did something wrong let's say and then your parents were all over you uh, then you uh, start identifying having done wrong and being uh, corrected as love because that's when you get the most attention now then you grow up you don't want that of course you know you 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 work with in your own mind or otherwise with ah, i don't want to be with people who are overbearing and they're constantly criticizing me and then you go and find a relationship where that person isn't criticizing you till they start criticizing you and the reason they start criticizing you is that you can detect their pattern which is reciprocal to your pattern and um, you begin a kind of a cycle of where the relationship becomes a an entity, uh, you know, uh, of its own, where your pattern, your childhood patterns, and that person's childhood patterns start locking into each other. And um, so then, for instance, if you only got attention when you did something wrong, and um, you, you choose a partner, there's a good chance that your partner um feels that you don't pay attention unless they get very loud right or they have to always uh, get mad before anything gets done and they would rather uh, you are proactive but you know so so there's these patterns that start happening um, that uh, determine not only how your relationship goes but also whom you choose because we choose people who on one end are exactly not like our upbringing and then turn out to be exactly like our upbringing which is um, humorous if it wasn't sometimes so distressing so there's that aspect where there's always some of that to go to a lesser degree then there's trauma and when we talk about trauma in this context we're simply talking about an injury and that an injury could be physical emotional uh, mental a combination thereof, um, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, could be uh, collective trauma, war, whatever, you know, could be all kinds of things, could be all those um, injuries to some part of, of you. you know, it could be spiritual trauma. Some people, you know, had religious things happening. So that particular injury shapes you. Um, it shapes you by making you avoid certain things and making you go towards certain things. 
right? It shapes your body, it shapes your nervous system, shapes your behavior. So of course, for instance, if you've been cheated on by your very first boyfriend with your arch enemy in school and then ridiculed by the entire class or something like that, right? That will do something to your future relationship choices, um, if you know it or not, right? And so there's a shape that develops, a relational shape that develops as you go through different injuries and traumas. And typically um, where we get the injuries or where the injuries attach physically, somatically, as well as emotionally and mentally is where we had previous imprint or injury. So um, meaning that whoever, um, abandon, you know, if your parents were abandoning you, um, you'll probably find other areas where abandonment happened or happens and then that compounds it. Yes, that's very interesting. I'd love to do actually a whole episode on trauma uh, in the context of relationships or relationship patterns and so on and talk about that, how to recognize it, what to do with it, how to preemptively work on it and how to, what strategies when it's happening, you're, you know, being, having trauma activated, triggered as they say. I think it'll be very interesting to do a whole episode on that. You know, how can you make sure that therapy in the context of preparing for a relationship is um, useful and um, it doesn't in a certain sense get out of bounds. We talked about how finding yourself is a good thing to do and self-improvement are good things to do, uh, but there are certain caveats because each of those can, um, if they're unbalanced, uh, can have less optimal results. And I think the same is perhaps true for therapy. I always often think that uh, therapy and different therapy modalities, they're tools and you use a tool. You don't orient your life around the tool. The tool is there to uh, help you perform a, a function, if you like. That's a thought I sometimes have about some of these methods, which can, which are very often extraordinarily useful, but their downfall comes when uh, they become almost cult-like or almost religious in right. one's adherence. Everything's about attachment. Everything's about this. Everything, right. trauma. Everything's about trauma. Everything. About... Well, the fact of the matter is, gosh, there's a lot of stuff about attachment. There's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of stuff about trauma going on. There's a lot of wisdom in studying that subject, but it can become to begin to dominate one's view or one's lens. Yes. Uh, and, and then in a certain sense, the tool's using you. Yes. If you sit down at a first date and you say, hello, I am avoidant in my attachment style, right? You're in, you're in, trouble, you're in, tr in actual trouble. But, uh, but pe some people get like that, right? They find something and then everything gets filled into that particular lens and mm -hmm. it is a lot more complicated than that because also um and this is why good therapy will give you a roadmap right while bad therapy will reroute you all together uh, maybe somewhere where you don't want to go or it shouldn't be going or where the therapist is going or the way right, the therapist exactly. Wants to go, yeah. exactly you were all now on the on the whatever the the attachment freeway or the uh, you must get married to be a, a good member of society freeway, right? And I, I want to say something about that as well um, when we talk about wh what kind of a relationship uh, somebody wants. Often the problem is that therapists, not always, but some therapists 
um, they are maintaining a self-image via a certain kind of a relationship model. And then they can't actually live with somebody wanting a different relationship model and to pathologize anything that doesn't fit into their thing. And of course, nowadays, when we have, you know, Instagram influencers and things like that, um, there's people who have essentially cannibalized their personal relationship as a um, sales tool. Uh, and now they are stuck. They have to be forever married or forever in this construct, because if they're if they are failing, then oh God, they are of course you know they're. Uh, let me show you how to find the one in six days course is going to be essentially no longer doing it right. So it's important when you find your own style, which by the way can change. Um, it's normal to want something and then as you grow, want something else. That's not the problem. And I think when we talk, we'll do an episode on uh, purpose in relationship. Uh, we can discuss what happens when purpose in relationship, the purpose of the relationship changed. But for somebody who's single, who's going, well, actually, I don't think I want a conventional marriage, but I want somebody with whom to share my life with very deeply. And um, I want travel and adventure and sex. Um, if they go to somebody who's essentially a proponent of um, you can only experience steps in one committed relationship, you're going to start feeling like there's something wrong with you. And um, that's a good that's a good indicator for when therapy is not useful. If you actually feel worse at the end of your session than at the beginning, right? Meaning you feel that there's something really wrong with you. That's probably not the way to go because ultimately you want to be okay with who you are, even if you eventually want to change some things because otherwise you can't actually find somebody who's okay with you because if you're not okay with you, how is anybody else going to be okay with you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to be said about that, but for the, for the sake of, uh, moving on, um, I think choosing therapy as a tool and also, um, it's always good to have, uh, a few different people supply different views to begin with so you can actually see what's out there that's tough for some people who are not very strong in maintaining a center but it's very useful because you'll get to see that there's definitely i mean there's so many therapy models and there is um different lenses and you should find something that actually works for you instead of trying to become something that you're not yeah, that's very interesting. And I think one of the reasons people are often reluctant to engage in therapy is because they quite rightly worry that the therapist is going to be on their own trip and uh, will impose that on them. And and indeed, that's not an unfounded concern. Of course, many therapists do, do great work, but there are some who their work as a therapist is a sort of displacement of their own difficulties, as you're pointing out. And they're, actually, they're, they're getting something uh, from the relationship from the therapeutic relationship with their clients that interferes with the benefit they're transferring to their clients. Of course, there's always some, but always gets something. There's always an exchange in, in any relationship, but in a professional relationship like that, if what you're getting from your clients interferes with your ability to perform the role as a therapist, then it starts to be, I suppose, a sort of conflict of interest and so on. And it, it is rather classic. 
Um, do you have anything to add to that or shall I move on? <laughs> well, I think we've talked about this before, right? In when we teach teacher trainings and stuff like that, that there is this whole situation where somebody gets a new tool, right? And so everything's a nail when, you, when you've just discovered you have a hammer, right? So th that's often very true with people um, who... Uh, you know, are still in their, their own exploratory phase, or they've just dis, uh, found something or discovered something themselves, and now they're trying to give it to their clients or students or participants. And so everything now has to be that one thing that they have discovered they have. So you have to be very, very careful when anybody um, tells you in their sales bio that they had this problem and now they have fixed it and now they're going to tell you how to fix it because um, they're essentially putting you into their lens and you might have some of those concerns but they might not be all the way your concerns or the way they that person fixes it is not what you need to do right at all so um, you definitely want to have people who have more than one tool. They should have at least a, a screwdriver and a power drill and, uh, <laughs> you know, a few and a saw available as well so that they can deal with you as a human and not as, um, you know, a nail, so to speak. Yeah, that's uh, perhaps one of the reasons why a good therapist is really worth their weight in gold in a sense. A well-trained therapist who's able to keep themselves from muddying the waters uh, too much, uh, actually qu quite a bonus. If you have one like that, that's very good. <laughs> that's very good indeed. So here's something. What about lifestyle and routine? Do you have any thoughts about lifestyle and routine? Um, I I've heard some school of thought that says, you know, live a full life, have a full diary. Of, of activities and doing what you want to do and so on and so forth. And then you're, you're likely to bump into people who have the same interests as you. But I've also heard it said that, uh, well, once you try to create space or opening for a relationship, if you're always busy, uh, constantly busy, 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 there's no, there's no space for a partner. And so I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts on basic sort of lifestyle, routine considerations, if one's seriously thinking, oh, I think I'd like to have a relationship or make space for that exploration. Yeah, well, there's, you know, levels to, to that question. On the biggest level, on the biggest uh, view, so to speak, of course, you should be um, the kind of person that somebody else wants to be with, whatever that means to you. But in general, what that means is somebody who has interests, somebody who has more than one interest, ideally, um, someone who's living a life who isn't needy, um, and uh, is capable of entertaining themselves when their new partner or their you know new date isn't available. Um, someone who um, knows themselves enough that they can check themselves if they get a bit too uh, too much into it or you know too avoidant of the situation. So I think a full life and having the kind of um, life that you can live regardless if you have a partner or not is advisable in general, right? Because you never know um, how it goes. And if you can find that person and, or, or even if you find that person, if that person is around for a very long time for uh, a million different reasons. So I would definitely say uh, on, a, on, a, on a big uh, view, have a, a rich and, and uh, 
varied life with friends and social connections, um, good routines, healthy habits, all of that, because that sets you up for a lifetime. And um, that means different things to different people. But so underneath that, though, is if you are now saying, okay, I want a partner, I'm ready for a partner, and I want to be able to um, attract that kind of a partner, there's definitely merit in examining how much of what, what you do in your life is just a means of distracting yourself from the pain that you don't have a partner. Um, and a means of keeping the wheel spinning so you don't actually have to feel that loneliness or that um, lack of connection or something like that, or snacking, uh, as we're often calling it, right, on, on um, fast food ways of connection and relationship and sex when you want the real thing. And so there's definitely merit in looking at how much of what you're doing is um, actually conducive to finding that kind of a partner and how much of what you're doing is just snacking and then you don't have actual appetite or receptivity for the real meal. And there's a fine line because, you know, how are you going to meet somebody? Well, you're going to have to date. How are you going to date? Well, you're probably going to have to see more people or, or do more of something that you don't necessarily want to do perhaps, right? And uh, there's, of course, uh, considerations around having a nice time with somebody and having sex with somebody and going on dates as a means of keeping yourself from going insane or deprived or depraved, you know, or things like that. So I think there is the, the golden rule there is, is does it make you a fuller um, uh, human being, fuller, more interesting human being? Um, that invites that kind of relationship that you want in, or does it distract you and makes you less available for the real thing, right? And that, that's a fine line and it's different for different people. So making a bit of space in, in the schedule to actually feel um, whatever needs to be felt, right? A bit of that loneliness or the yearning um, or the overwhelm from having worked too much and kind of stepping a bit down and stepping a bit back and reprioritizing what needs to be done, then that's a good thing. Yeah, that's very interesting indeed. I think a future episode on dating would be uh, an interesting area to dive more deeply into. One more topic comes to mind on this on this theme of, you know, you're single and you're thinking about gearing up for, for looking for a relationship. What are the things to consider? You know, we talked about self-improvement or uh, self-discovery, maybe even self-healing if it's necessary. We've talked about routine. We've talked about actually many things. What about the famous list? The famous list that people have. I want somebody who's got this and this and this and this and this. Some people are advocate you should have a list. Very precise. Don't settle uh, for anything less than your list. Other people say, oh, no, I don't have a list. It, you go out there and be willing to be surprised, etc., etc. I'm painting two extremes. What's your feeling on this? When one is thinking about the sort of partner one would like, how precise should one be? How specific one sh should one be? What sort of areas should one think about when considering that question? Well, I mean, this is a fairly straightforward question for <laughs> in, in the sense that uh, there are steps to it, right? Step number one, um, decide what kind of relationship you want, right? 
So that's the most important thing. Step number two is then for the kind of relationship you want, what kind of a person do you need or want, right? Want and need. So like very simple, if you want a child um, and um, you know, a partner or, a, or a companion who raises the child with you and co-parenting and having children is really, really important to you, then that of course necessitates that whoever is your partner on that list, there has to be a list, but not necessarily the list that many people have, but on that list, number one for what you want in relationship is must want children. Uh, that's pretty clear cut. It's not as clear cut in other realms, but like for instance, if you want a partner with whom to travel the world and uh, you want to be a global nomad for a couple of years and have adventure, well, certainly you couldn't be with somebody who has two young children from a first marriage and a nine to five job that can only be done in person. I mean, those are pretty, it's pretty straightforward and it's not the grand list that everybody has, which always starts with uh, tall, dark and handsome, great humor, lots of money, uh, you know, or whatever your version of that. It, it's much more purpose um, driven by what it is that you want out of the relationship. And then you look at who would be the kind of partner that could actually fulfill that with you. And then underneath that, there's, of course, personal preferences as far as if, let's say, you, you're, um, you know, you're the practitioner of some religion that you take quite seriously and or, or philosophy or whatever. And you, like I said, if you're vegan, you probably don't want to date a carnivore. Right. So, or, you know, if you're animal rights uh, activist, you're probably not going to want to marry a hunter. Um, and and think, there's like things that are kind of irreconcilable. Hence, there's such thing as irreconcilable difference in a divorce. Right? So um, with that all said, it's the what kind of relationship, what kind of a person within that relationship and your personal preferences. Now, then comes the point that most people don't do when they have these lists of the things that they're deserving, which is, who are you? What do you have to offer to that kind of a person and that kind of a relationship? Um, because that's also very, very important. Uh, if you want somebody to travel the world with, uh, but you don't even have a passport, <laughs> right? Um, or have left the country ever, or, or um, you know, have any wherewithal of traveling, well, then it's just a purely aspirational idea of something that you have no way of backing up. So if you actually meet the guy who can do the global travel, you're, you're not bringing anything to that. You, know? uh, you get nervous when you have to get on a bus, you're probably not the, you know, the, the person for that person. So there's these di distinct steps of, of which the, the one on the ground level is essentially who am I and do I have what it takes to attract that kind of a person? And then is that kind of a person that I want the kind of a person that I can have that kind of relationship with? And then of course it comes back down. Am I actually equipped to maintain, to 
to it's not just get but also maintain that kind of relationship and that gives you a lot to work with before you actually even go on a date and i do think um and this is you know easier said than done but i do think when somebody is really wanting to seriously consider their relational engagement and con you know kind of construct it's good to take a moment and look at that uh, and before stepping back into dating, even if it's just a week or two, right? Because there's people who are just constantly dating, 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 and then they get sidetracked because this looks really good and this looks really good. And then, you know, people find themselves in, in sexual relationships with people who are not really their people, but now they're really, you know, bonded with them or attracted to them or sucked into some kind of a pattern and stuff like that. So I do think if at all possible, that particular consideration I just um, listed should be something that should be discussed. And it is nice to have a trustworthy friend. And what I'm saying with trustworthy, someone who has a vested interest in being honest with you because they, uh, they either love you and want the best for you or they're professionals and they get paid for being honest with you, right? And that, meaning somebody who, with whom you can sit down and say, this is my list, this is what I think I want, this is the who I want, this is what I'm bringing. And then often an honest friend goes, really? <laughs> and then the door, those are the kind of either improvements one can make if they're not, uh, you know, in the realm of a lobotomy or something horrible. <laughs> you know, where you have to completely change personality. Um, and you can also learn some skills or redefine what it is that you want. Um, because this is this is for the dating episode, we'll leave this as a cliffhanger. There is, of course, the entire um, consideration around people dating potential um, and, and being attracted to potential versus being a, being. Uh, good with who that person is in the moment and that when you have a faulty list so to speak you are pretty much setting yourself up for dating potential or being potential that's being dated which is equally horrible when uh, a person says that they like who you are but then tries to change you to their needs and you constantly feel like you're not good enough or you're wrong or you're not quite cutting it. So both ways, it's, uh, it, it's good to have that list really, really defined so that the actual dating process isn't more painful than it needs to be. That's As a right. matter of fact, um, because of that session I had yesterday and because we're in the middle of creating this relationship course, I actually made a master list of things people should consider. And I'm still working on it and whittling it down, but eventually there'll be kind of a, uh, a master list of things people can ask themselves. Very cool, yeah. Okay, so last one, quick fire question. Three mistakes that you see people, single people considering a relationship make quick fire. You don't have to explain them quick fire. Yeah, I don't do quick fire as you know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's okay. try. You, I never think, know. you never know. It might be the first time. I think number one, um, thinking that you can manifest a relationship without actually 
engaging in relational activity. You must actually leave the house, meet with people, go online, tell all your friends. So you can't just sit there and somehow, you know, make that fantastic relationship uh, appear. So that's the first mistake, I think. The second mistake is to uh, do oneself over in ways that are not sustainable. So become somebody that you can't sustain being. And then of course, the person who was attracted to the fake you, when you become your real you, uh, you know, doesn't want that. That's a really big one. And I think um, number three, and this should also be number one, is to believe that there is the one. I think that's a very, very dangerous um, construct to believe that there's only one person for you or you find the one and that it's perfect and then there's no work needed and you ride together in the sunset and anything less than that is just not acceptable. Um, that's a horrible uh, thing uh, because first of all, it sets you up for failure. Um, it also narrows your options. So within your lists and your needs and your desires, there is um, a variety of ways to go and a variety of people and uh, a variety of beautiful connections. And I also think that within the, the one, uh, there is to be considered that no one human can fulfill all your needs and wants relationally, which is for another day and another topic that for most people, uh, it takes a small village to um, you know, create kind of a wholesome relational thing. That doesn't mean you have sex with many people, but you can't expect that your partner is also your agony aunt and your best friend and your CEO and so on and so on and so on. Sounds like you're talking about community. One, You can't have a one-person community. Most people, anyway, it seems that there has to be some sort of community aspect to their lives uh, as well. That's maybe yeah. in conjunction with an intimate relationship. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Very good. That was very rapid. I'm impressed. <laughs> and if anyone has any uh, questions that uh, come from this uh, podcast, you're welcome to write in workshops at MichaelaBohm.com with your questions and uh, very likely in future episodes we will be responding to questions maybe as a discrete segment in these podcasts or perhaps in a dedicated podcast so please write in the comments or uh, email workshops at michaelabom.com so until next time thank you very much michaela thank you steve <laughs> thank you for listening to the michaela bohm podcast for workshops courses teacher trainings and more visit www.michaelabohm.com